so good to be here with you this morning. I want to uh, thank your pastor, Pastor Chad, for the invitation to come to be with you this morning to share the word of God. We served together with the Billy Graham Association for many years, traveling together. And uh, uh, one thing you need to know about your pastor, he can get around an airport quicker than anybody I know. I mean, I've seen him. He moves and he gets. So we thank the Lord for him, uh, Pastor Darren. We, God bless you. Good to see you this morning. Each of you, we are excited and delighted that we have been invited to come to be with you this morning. I want to thank my wife for being here. It's good to see Ben and Tamika. Amen. Here to minister in song. Amen. You've heard the word of God read this morning. I, uh, You see the title, The Miracle on the Sea of Galilee. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our time that we have together. Lord, would you bless us now? And God, give us ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to us today. God, and we are ready now. Prepare our hearts to receive that which you would give to us. God, that we only be, that we may only be just hearers of your word today but that we would be doers of your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. On January 5th, January 15th, rather, 2009, U.S. Airways Flight 1549 took off from New York City LaGuardia's airport. It was en route here to Charlotte, North Carolina. Shortly after takeoff, something happened. A flock of Canadian geese hit the engines of this flight and before you know it this flight was doomed and uh, the Airbus 320 uh, less than five miles out had to make an emergency landing. They radioed the tower to turn back around but the pilot said we cannot make it back to the airport. So at this time, the pilots, Sullenberger and Skiles, guided the plane to a miraculous landing on the Hudson River. It's amazing because all 155 passengers that day that was on that fatal aircraft survived. They were, they were rescued and Boats nearby came to their uh, assistance, and uh, this, this great landing went down in history. In fact, they called it the miracle on the Hudson. Can I submit to you this morning that that was a great miracle, that miracle on the Hudson, although it was impressive, but it does not compare to this miracle on the sea. Of Galilee. Jesus defied the laws of physics to go and to walk across the lake to save his disciples. You see, Jesus in this text really shows his sovereignty as the Son of God and who he really was. Thus, the message miracle on the Sea of Galilee. Well, uh, the text, uh, if we follow this text and if we look at it, 
or if we give what we call the setsum laban or the life circumstances behind the text, it finds that Jesus had, first of all, received word that his best friend, his forerunner, John the Baptist, had just been beheaded. The Bible declares that Jesus took that time to get away, to retreat, to, to, to mourn, to pray. But the crowds would not let him. In fact, the Bible declares that they followed him all the way and they followed him to the point where Jesus had to get in a boat and to push out from the lake to teach the people. And the Bible says that he taught them all day long and they were with him. And, and at the end of the day, they would have sent the people away. But Jesus said, we can't do that. They've been with us all day. And so uh, they said, well, Jesus, how do we do this? How can we feed this crowd? Well, they discovered that there were five barley loaves and two fish that were there. And so, uh, you know the miracle. Jesus took those five barley loaves and two fish. And the Bible says that he blessed them and he broke them and he gave them out. And they fed 5,000 people that day. What a great miracle. And in fact, it was probably more, the number was probably more in line with 20,000 people because it said that it was children, women and children there. So Jesus took five uh, uh, loaves of bread and two fish and fed over 20,000 people with sardines and crackers. That was a great miracle. The Bible says that immediately after that, Jesus insisted, demanded, required, didn't volunteer the disciples, voluntold the disciples to get in the boat and go to the other side. In fact, the text says in verse 22 that Jesus insisted his disciples get back in the boat and cross the other side of the lake. Verse 23 says, and sending them home, he, he, he went up into the hills by himself to pray, and night fell, and he was there alone. Notice, the disciples did exactly what Jesus had commanded them to do. They did exactly what Jesus had instructed them to do. They got in the boat and they were en route to their destination on the other side of the lake. But verse 24 lets us know that, that they were presented with a problem. Verse 24 lets us know that meanwhile the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had arisen and they were fighting heavy waves. Notice the disciples were doing exactly what Jesus had commanded them to do. They were, they were in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing that Jesus had instructed them to do, and yet they ended up in a storm. My beloved, this serves to remind us that oftentimes the Storms of life comes our way, and they are inevitable. They will happen. The storms of life comes our way, and they are unbiased. The storms of life comes our way, and they are unpredictable. The disciples didn't see it happening. They didn't see it coming. In fact, they were just sailing along on their way to their destiny, and then 
it happened. A storm came their way. You see, this lets us know that you can be in the perfect will of God, that you can be doing exactly what God has called you to do. You can be in the very place that God has called you. You can be doing what God has asked you to do, and yet and still trials and troubles can come your way for just being in the perfect will of God. You see, oftentimes God can use our unique problems to manifest and to show us who he is. Several years ago, I was, looking to, I was listening to a teaching by Greg Lowry, and, and Greg Lowry uh, said that there are three types of storms. He said there are what he refers to as connecting storms. I'm sorry, correcting storms. And correcting storms are those storms that we bring upon ourselves. <laughs> it's those storms that, that, that we reap the consequences because we have disobeyed God in an area of our lives. They are, they are called correcting storms. You remember the story of Jonah. Jonah was in a correcting storm. God told him to get in the boat and to go to the Nineveh and to preach the gospel. And Noah gets in the boat and goes the other direction. A storm comes up. God has a sense of humor. The same city that he was supposed to be preaching in, the, the, the big fish swallows him up and spits him out on the shore where he's supposed to be preaching. <sighs> Correcting storms. But how about those perfecting storms? Uh, Greg Lauer says it's those storms that God allows to come our way, and they come our way to galvanize our faith. They come along our way to strengthen us spiritually. Ah, this is when God allows sometimes in our lives the perfect storm. They come our way, and they are designed to poise us. They are designed to position us so that when we go through the storm, we would realize the blessing that's in the storm. And when we come out on the other side of through, we come out with the lesson that we learn about the sovereignty of God. But then he says there, there are those protecting storms. And in those protecting storms, uh, uh, they are the ones that God allows us to be in to show us his divine protection, to show us that we are in his divine custody. Ah, example of that kind of storm is right here with these disciples. I love this because Mark's gospel tells us something that Matthew did not mention in the text. In Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 6 and verse 48, he says, He, Jesus, saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. It literally said that Jesus saw them struggling, saw them in trouble. Can I submit to you that Jesus knows all about our struggles. He knows all about our striving. He knows what we're dealing with. You see, he sees our aches. He sees our afflictions. He sees our pains. He sees our troubles. He knows what confront us. He knows exactly what we're going through. He sees our crying in the night. He sees our pain and our trouble. And yet Jesus will never allow you and I to go through anything. And he's not with us. Oh, my beloved, that's a, that's a great 
assurance to us today that whatever we're going through, whatever trials we face, whatever storms that come our way that Jesus knows, he sees our struggles and he will never allow us to go through anything by ourselves. In fact, I know I'm on a solid foundation because the Bible says in John chapter 16 and verse 33 that in this world you will have tribulation. But he says, but be of good cheer. Take heart. Be confident. Cheer up, my friends. Take courage. Because he says, I've overcome the world. The psalmist David, would hear, we would hear him say, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord. The righteous God shall deliver them out of them all. Well, if you're following the gospel lessons, it will let us know that Jesus calls us to have courage in life's storms and in life's circumstances. You see, Jesus saw his disciples. He saw them and he knew that they were in serious trouble. He saw they are struggling against the winds and the waves. He saw that they were struggling and stressing. How many of you know that stress can play a major part on the results and the outcome of our storms and our situations? I was preparing for this message, and, and, and I referenced the medical encyclopedia, and it suggested that stress can come from any event or thought that makes you feel frustrated or angry. It said that stress is our body's reaction to a challenge or demand. Jesus saw the disciples struggling just like he sees us struggling in life today, my friends. You see, he didn't minimize, he didn't marginalize their suffering. He didn't uh, marginalize their being stressed out and their struggling. Uh, but what I love about Jesus is that he does not stand idly by. He just didn't see them from a distance. The Bible declares that he saw them struggling and he went to be with them. Uh, in fact, in fact, verse 25 uh, tells us that about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them walking on the water. You see, if you read it in the New Living Translation, it says that it was uh, three o'clock in the morning. But if you read it in the uh, New King James Version, it says that it was the fourth watch. The fourth watch was always between the hours of 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning. In fact, uh, I, I mention this because between the hours of 3 a.m. and 6 o'clock a.m. is the uh, darkest time of the morning. It's not uh, at 12 p.m. A lot of people say the darkest time is at 12. No, the darkest time is that period right before the sun comes up. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm simply saying this, that oftentimes our darkest moments can come right before the sun begins to shine again. You see, sometimes we give up right when we're on the verge of our breakthrough. We give up right on the verge before the sun comes. God knows how long we've been in the tunnel. He knows how long we've been struggling. And my word to you this morning, Grace Covenant, is don't give up in the midst of your storms. 
because God knows how long you've been there. See, oftentimes we quit and we give up in our darkest hour. You see, he comes to them while they were halfway in their journey. In fact, they were almost there. They were, they were halfway on the lake, and Jesus comes to them because, how I mean, you know, sometimes when we get halfway and when storms come, Jesus knows, God knows that we are, sometimes we are prone to give up. We are prone to throw in the towel. We are prone uh, to go back to the other side. Sometimes when we are right on the verge of receiving the blessings of God, uh, oftentimes we get partially there. We're almost and we give up. Want to turn back. Ah, God knew that oftentimes we contemplate giving up. We contemplate quitting turning around and going back. You see, Jesus knows what we are confronted with. He sees our worry. He sees our fear. Oftentimes, he knows our doubt. He knows the unsettling and the uneasy times that come our way. He knows that oftentimes we are tempted to give up right on the verge of our breakthrough. Uh, because, my brothers and sisters, God knows sometimes that when, we're, that when we are in a storm and we are struggling to stay afloat, fear will try to grip our heart. I can testify and you can testify that you've gone through some things in life. You've had some scary situations. You've been through some scary incidents in your life. And it gripped your heart. You see, if we're human, we're in this, in this day and time and state, it happens to all of us. Sometimes fear is presented to us. Oh, but I love what Jesus does. When he first comes to them, he sees them on the water. He comes to them with a word of assurance. You see, they were horrified. They were terrified. And even when they saw Jesus, they became even more horrified because they thought he was a ghost. Ah, but Jesus comes with the assuring word that he gives to you and I in our times of fear and doubt. He shows up and he says to you and he says to me, fear not, for I am with you. He says to them, he came to them walking on the water and they were terrified. And they were in fear. They cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. And said, don't be afraid. Take courage, for I am with you. Notice what Jesus said. I am with you. He says this in other words. He calls upon his divine name of God, his sovereign name of I am. I am with you. You see, throughout the whole Bible, those words had been spoken in the time of great fear, in the time of great transition, God has always showed up and said to his people, I am here. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Take courage. In fact, it's been said that over 365 times in the Bible, the words, I don't be afraid. I am with you shows up. 
My beloved, what that may suggest to us is that for every day that we are alive, for every day we wake up, we can hear the assuring words of our Lord saying, don't be afraid. Take courage, for I'm with you. Fear not. In this day of great fear, this day of great unrest, this day of COVID, this day of plagues and problems, here is a word for you and I, fear not. For God is with us. Take courage. Don't be afraid. Because what Jesus wants us to do in this day and time is what he wanted Peter to do. Step, or, and the disciples, step out in faith and believe God. You see, he wants us to understand this. That Jesus didn't just perform this great miracle just to show off. He didn't perform this great miracle just to show his disciples that he can just walk on water. No, that's not the motive behind Jesus walking on water. Jesus walked on water, performed this great miracle to produce faith in his disciples. He comes to them and says, fear not. And old Peter says, Jesus, if it's really you, bid me to come. Jesus said to him, Peter, come. Peter gets out of the boat and begins to walk on water. Now, many Christians would, at this point, fault Peter for walking out on water and, and getting out and, and taking his eyes off of Jesus and beginning to sink. Because I mean, you know, oftentimes when we take our eyes off of Christ, it's when the problems of life comes our way. Jesus says to Peter, Come, my brothers and my sisters, I don't know about you, but I'd rather step out on faith and have Jesus to reach out and save me than to stay safe in the boat. I'd rather step out on faith and say, Lord, help me through life than to stay safe in the boat. You see, my brothers and sisters, there are a lot of people who would contend even theologians and many believers. How can this happen? How can this great miracle, how can this be? It's not human for someone to step out and walk on water. I mean, think, uh, face it. I, I mean, let's, let's just be honest. This is not possible for a human to step out and walk on the water. It's just not, I mean, the laws of physics have to kick in and at some point let us know that this is not possible. How can this happen? Well, here's my response to that. Anything that Jesus himself created, he can subdue. Anything that he created, he can walk over. Surely, if he created the winds and the waves, surely he can speak to them and they've got to obey his will. If he spoke to the mountain, if he made the mountain, surely he can speak to the mountain. Call the mountain to be moved. Anything that he created, he has the sovereign power over. In Grace Covenant, I believe today that Christ is calling you and I to step out on faith. And not to be those that stay in the boat, but to walk out on faith in the times of troubles and trials for us to be people who would simply say, God, 
we step out and take you at your word. I read a quote the other day by the poet William F. O'Brien. He captured this concept in a poem when he said, Some say risk nothing. Try only for the sure thing. Others say nothing gamble, nothing gain. Go all the way for your dream. Life can be lived either way, but for me, I'd rather try and fail than never try at all. Jesus is calling you and I to step out in faith and to trust him. Well, I'm just about to close. We would say in the African-American church, we're about to land a plane. About to land a plane. But here's one other thing I want you to know, Grace Covenant. Jesus is calling you and I in the midst of our storms to a place of worship. Because oftentimes we can take our eyes off of him. And when we do, we forget the importance that we've been called to worship him. And that's what the Bible says they did in verse 32. When they climbed back in the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worship him and said to him, you are really the son of God, they exclaimed. But I want you to see something. The text doesn't end there. Matthew has this story. Um, Mark has this story. But in John's account, after Jesus comes to them walking on the water, he tells them not to be afraid. In John's account, in John 6 and 21, it gives us another glimpse of this text. It says that then they were willingly, when they willingly received him into the boat, Watch this. It said that immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Wait a minute. Don't y'all miss that? John lets us know that when Jesus came back in the boat, immediately they were on the other side on their destiny. What are you saying? I'm simply saying this, that sometimes this serves to remind us that God knows how long we've been in the struggle. He knows how long we've been in the winds. He knows how long we've been fighting and stressing. And, 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 and oftentimes he can come to us. And when our suffering has been completed, he knows how to hit the fast forward button and fast forward us to our destiny. Oh, praise his name today. You see, I love a God who knows exactly where we are who knows exactly what we've been going through, and in the right time, he knows how to expedite our exit out of the storm. He's a sovereign God. You see, I can identify with this. Years ago, I was traveling, and I was late for my flight, and I got to the airport. I got to the uh, desk, got to the gate, and I was running behind, and I was standing in line thinking, am I going to get on this plane? I mean, I was running behind, y'all. I was running on CP time. Y'all have to ask your pastor about that. I was running on CP time, and I was just about to miss my flight. But some told me, look at your ticket. I pulled my ticket out and looked at it. 
unbeknownst to me, I had been given an upgrade. I had been expedited. In other words, I was standing in the wrong line. I should have been standing in the priority line. I should have been standing in the line that was moving fast. I was standing in the short line, the slow line. And so when I looked at my ticket and realized I was in the wrong lane, I got in the right line and it moved a whole lot faster when I made my flight. What are you saying? I'm saying this, that some of us are standing in the wrong line. We're standing in the line of doubt and unbelief, and God is trying to get us in the line of faith and motion and movement because we walk by faith and not by sight. That doomed flight that left New York City was on its way to Charlotte. The pilot Skiles were, was at the controls. And when that strike hit, that plane began to waver. And they knew the flight was going down. Skiles gave the controls over to the more experienced pilot. Captain Sullenberger had been flying for over 44 years. 20,000 hours of flight time. He gave the controls over to Captain Sullenberger, who made a successful landing on the Hudson River. I'm simply saying to this, that in the storms of life, in our trials, perhaps we should give the controls over to a more experienced pilot, the captain of our salvation. His name is Jesus, and he can safely get us to our destination because we trust in him. Father, thank you today for being our great high priest. Thank you for being the lover of our souls, the captain of our salvation. Thank you for being the one that leads us, guides us safely through our storms. Oh, sovereign Lord, thank you for being with us in every storm. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.